0: Hi, welcome to the Get To Yes podcast. This special series focuses on a topic that's affecting every business in our industry right now, COVID profitability. This new series is designed to help hair, beauty, and aesthetic business owners survive by building a profit-based COVID recovery plan. Neil Osborne from The Sales Catalyst is our host. He teaches, coaches, consults, and speaks on business subjects that help hair, beauty, and aesthetic businesses how to become commercially clever. Throughout this special series, Neil talks with a variety of industry experts who share business tips to help you navigate your way out of COVID and beyond. His goal is to help build the financial strength of our industry. He'll be discussing in simple industry language, important elements in a profit-based COVID recovery plan. We'll cover ways to manage the big costs in your business and make a profit, where your cash flow and profit is, and how to keep some of it in your pocket, what your figures mean and how to influence them, how to benchmark your business figures against industry averages, and how to communicate and negotiate with your landlord. Hope you enjoy it.
1: Hi everybody, super excited today to have a friend of mine with us and a really experienced guy, uh, Stuart Donaldson. Welcome Stuart, great to have you here mate.
2: Thank you. Very yeah. good
1: to be here. Neil. Yeah, exciting. We're on this new journey to talk about finance, and uh, wow, I can hear some of my clients uh, rattling already. But let me just give everyone a little bit of introduction to help get to know you a bit, Stuart, because you've got a great background. Uh, Stuart's the founder and the owner of Banyan Co. Uh, he's an experienced banking and finance executive, an educator, a business coach, and a financial advocate for owners of small to medium-sized enterprises. Well. That's us, Stuart, SMEs in our industry. Mm -hmm. And as a facilitator, uh, Stuart has conducted hundreds of seminars, workshops, keynote addresses across Australia, New Zealand, Asia, and also the US. He's worked alongside scores of business owners, franchise groups, industry associations, and professionals. And he's no doubt earned a very enviable reputation. Stuart is known for his unique ability to transform financial concepts from confusing and complex to simple and intuitive. You're in the right spot, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> he has a Bachelor of Business and an Accounting degree and an Advanced Diploma in Financial Services. Mate, Welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank
2: you, Neil. It's wonderful to be here with you.
1: I particularly like that. helps transforming financial concepts from uh, confusing to complex. Uh, we're in an industry where not everyone's really good with their numbers. Um, And, you know, a lot of businesses are out there at the moment. And and I suppose just by way of background, Stuart, to give you a little bit of feel as to how our industry is going at the moment, especially in um, skin and aesthetic. It's absolutely crazy. Uh, We're experiencing some really, really high demand in some areas, yet in some regional areas and also even in CBD areas, Uh it's like a really lumpy. Roller coaster. I don't know whether it's relevant just to our industry. Are you finding that with others? Oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, it's interesting since COVID broke. You know, obviously there's a lot of uh, despair out there. But having said that, there's some businesses and some industries that have been absolutely turbocharged in a way that they never thought would have happened before. And the flip side is, then there's the others that are really, really battling. So it's probably the most unique. Um, challenging environment that I've come across, and that that challenge is not just with those that are struggling, mm. but those that are growing rapidly. Because yeah. you know, rapid growth comes with grow, growing pains, and cash flow challenges, and everything.
1: Absolutely, else. that's the big thing. Everyone wants growth, but then you've got to fund it, don't you? You've got to you've got to, you've got to manage your numbers, yeah. and you know, uh, a one thousand dollar problem is one thing, but to have a you know, a $100,000 problem, that's something else completely, isn't it? Uh, Absolutely. So, you know, you you wanted to talk today about managing your numbers. Yes. And, you know, I'd love to expand on that a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit more about that in particular financial statements? I mean, these are things we look at, but don't probably pay much attention to. What's your view on that?
2: Yeah, well, that's a little bit universal when it comes to the SME sector, small to medium businesses, and in Mm -hmm. fact, large businesses as well. Because if you think about why someone went into business, and and I'm talking to our audience Mm -hmm. now, they didn't go into business because they have a love of numbers. They went into business because they had passion, enthusiasm, and wanted to be in charge of their own destiny, and they're entrepreneurial in their spirit Mm -hmm. and everything else. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. the question I often ask a business owner, that being the case, What about your numbers? Who do you leave the numbers to? And they always answer the same way. Oh, I leave that to my accountant. And we get to the end of the year and we get the financial statements. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with them? And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, those financial statements are shoved in the drawer and paid scant scant regard, very little attention. Mm. But if you sort of peel back and look down on the business for a minute, have a think about those financial statements. For instance, your profit and loss statement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is the Monty of all scorecards. It is just rich with information and okay. it is a reflection of every decision and every indecision mm-hmm. or poor decision that has taken place in that business in the last 12 months. So I advocate to people... Don't wait to see your accountant. You should be across your numbers day in, day out, month in, month out. And mm. you should have a system and a process in place so that you can take this historical data and use it to plot your path forward and your future success.
1: It's really interesting because uh, I'm having a business of my own for 30 odd years. I, I can really relate to this. But I know when I speak to clinic owners as well, they see that accounting report to be almost sort of history. Because it's so far in the rears, by the time where you are, it's not really relevant. You know, how can they look at that financial paper and, and make it more meaningful? What's some of the tips there that they can explore?
2: Well, there's a number of things you can do. First of all, I agree with you. If you consider your financial statements, they are confusing, they're complex. And in my view, they're an absolute jumble of numbers for most business owners. And take yeah, the, yeah. For, for example, take the balance sheet. What do most people do with the balance sheet?
1: Turn the page.
2: (laughs) I think they come back to the office, they shove it in the second drawer, (laughs) slam it shut and sort of mutter to themselves, one of these days I'm gonna figure out what that sucker's telling me. However, (laughs) the financial statements, if we can simplify them, if we can strip out the key success drivers, And if we can use them for goal setting around five or six different metrics that absolutely will power your business forward and drive your profitability and your financial strength, then you have at your fingertips a really
1: powerful tool. So when you say success drivers, what what do you mean by that? Help me understand that a little bit more
2: let's just think about a profit and loss statement and obviously the top line is always sales. A lot of people think, well, that's the first thing on the report. So Mm. that's where it all starts, but consider sales for a minute before we even make a sale. There are things that we actions that we take in trying to produce that sale. Are we doing that as efficiently as possible? For example, got to purchase stock. For Mm -hmm. example, how many customers are coming through the door? Mm-hmm. For example, have I priced it correctly? Have mm-hmm. I bought well? Am I able to increase my average transaction size? These are all measures that we can put okay. in place. And if we, it's the old adage, Neil, um, if you if you don't measure it, it doesn't get done. If you mm-hmm. measure it, it does. And you know, that's, true. that's just an example. Yeah. The other example I would give you is, and I often talk about this publicly and I ask people to visualise a PL, mm-hmm. and I say to them, how many times do you see the word profit? And they'll always tell me four because there's net profit after tax, before tax, operating profit and gross profit. And then I say okay. to them, mm-hmm. which of those four is the most important? And if I was to straw poll to that audience, it would be close to 90% would say either net profit after tax or before tax. Yep. I'm here to tell you the money's to be made at the gross profit level. Interesting, because the gross profit is right up the top there. You Mm -hmm. have your sales, you have your cost of goods sold line, and then you have your gross profit. And then you've got a whole bunch of overheads before you get to your operating profit and your net profit. Mm -hmm. And most people, when they think about, you know, I really want to maximise my profit, they just throw themselves into those overheads and look at ways they can, you know, tighten the belt mm. and make some more money. I'm suggesting put your energy and your effort into the gross profit line because the more you can increase your gross profit, if you increase your gross profit by 1%, mm-hmm. where's that 1% go? Straight into your pocket straight to the bottom line
1: that's really interesting you know because we as business owners um, and you know many clinic owners I talk to get constantly frustrated about profit because it almost seems to be this elusive thing that shows up on a piece of paper somewhere but they don't really understand it yeah and then secondly as you've said they then get beaten over the head by their accountant to improve their profit and it's all about reducing expenses yes you know and Look, let's be frank. We we go into business to have less stressful times. In other words, if we're successful, we can well we can splurge a little bit, and that's where that expense management issue comes into play. But you know what I'm hearing from you, it's up the top here where the real difference is, yeah?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm not suggesting you don't manage your overheads. Of course you do. Mm-hmm. But the real difference is that a lot of people are less focused on gross profit. And if you think about how do I get to gross profit, it all rests in that cost of goods sold line. In other words, I buy well mm-hmm. and I'm, I am am efficient in the production of um, purchasing goods, my sales price. Yep. And when I talk to business owners about their sales price mm-hmm. and I ask them, you know, how often do you put your price up? The They often sort of chuckle back at me mm. and say, right, well, well, we're actually always in the business of meeting the competition. Yes, so, you yes, know, yes. we're going down. Yeah, I'm yeah. saying, have you ever thought about just edging your sales price up? Not much, mm. just yeah. a little bit. Mm. And you know what? If you lose some, we can work the break-even numbers mm. on it and we can demonstrate to people that you can put your price up and afford to
1: lose some customers and still be better off. Yes. Now, that, that is a formula I also subscribe to. What I find it quite interesting is when I when I talk with clients and break down their P&Ls, mm-hmm. we, we have income, mm-hmm. which sometimes includes GST, sometimes not. So we take that out and we end up with, obviously, in our financials, x gst mm-hmm. Then the next group, some people don't even pay any attention to this cost of goods, and it gets mm-hmm. levied in below. Well, I'm, I'm with you. We should bring it up. And that cost of goods in our businesses would be made up very specifically of two things. One, products purchased for retail mm-hmm. and products purchased to provide the service. Mm-hmm. So, products purchased for retail is stock on shelf,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is cash out of bank yep. because we've, got to, we've had to pay for that and it's mm-hmm. sitting there. So, if we buy too much stock, that affects our gross margin.
2: Absolutely. In,
1: in that period. Yes. If we buy less and turn it over more, that's better. Yes, is that, that's yes, the right way is. to go. Yes, it is. And then when we manage our in-salon stock, which is what we're using to provide treatments and services, we need to be efficient there in the way we're buying and the way we're using it. Correct. Now, in our industry of benchmarking, 15 to 20% of turnover lives in that space. Yes. The higher your percentage of retail turnover the higher your cost of goods will be, yes. The lower your percentage of retail sales to turnover, the lower your cost of goods yep. um, will be. Yep. So that's just an interesting benchmark for some of our listeners to sort of, you know, look look against. Um, Ibis uh, World did a research study a little while ago, and they reckon that the industry average was seventeen percent. But you know, again, it depends on whether how heavy you are in device treatments how heavy you are into facial treatments, which have a lot more product application. So there's definitely variables there. So so
2: great example. Um, There's a couple of points I wanna make about that, Neil. Mm -hmm. The first one is you talked about what goes into it and the higher Mm -hmm. and the lower levels. The one other thing I'd say about buying product, whether it's retail or not, is the mix. Have you, have you got the right mix of stock? Have you got stock that sits on the shelf too long, that's low margin, et cetera, et cetera? So you've got to be yep. focused uh-huh. on that. But but the other thing uh-huh. I would say, you, you talked about Ibis World. I, I'm a massive advocate for benchmarking uh-huh. against your business, against what industry norms are. Uh-huh. Sometimes industry norms are difficult to get. So I say to business owners all the time in this country, you should be benchmarking mm-hmm. if the data is hard to come by here's what you got to do benchmark against your own best year what were you doing last year two years three years ago and if your gross profit today is x mm-hmm. and two years ago it was you know three four five percent higher mm-hmm. you as a, you and your team need to need to sit down and brainstorm that and say what's changed And how do we get back to that level and set that as a target? And that, Mm. Neil, is a classic example of using your numbers to drive your future profitability.
1: Wow. Don't you never think of it? That's a really good point. You never think of it that way because you're always constantly looking forward and thinking, how can I do better? Yes. And how can I compare it to people when no one else wants to talk to me about numbers? That's right. You know, and and our industry is probably no different. Nobody likes to talk about numbers. No. No. Because um, numbers it's, are boring. Well, it's also private for some people too. Of, of some, some cultures don't like to to share that. But what I've found is if we can help people understand percentages, yes, and and everyone's happy to talk percentages. You know, like I had 5% growth or my profit was up 3% or, you know, we're not disclosing the raw dollars. We're not disclosing our personal information, but we are sharing information that other people can benefit from.
2: It's a powerful motivator. Mm. You know, Mm. the other thing when we're talking about cost of goods sold and we're talking about gross profit and getting the gross profit up, I frequently run workshops and one Mm. of the exercises Mm. I walk people through is I ask them the question. Do you ask for discounts from your suppliers? And, you know, you get a mixed bag and, yep, and some yep. people will say to me, yeah, well, my suppliers offer a discount. As long as I pay in 10 days, I get a 2% or yep. whatever the discount uh-huh. might be. Or should I hold the 30 days and then have the use of the money and, you know, go the full 30 days? Mm-hmm. And i got to tell you in these workshops, it is a bell ringer for business owners... It's take the discount every time. And if we're sitting here, you and I today, mm. talking about getting your gross profit up, mm. I'm suggesting to your audience, ask for a discount. And if you get something that's reasonable, 1%, mm. 2%, mm. take it every time because that will be reflected in your gross profit yep. and, and ultimately be reflected in your
1: back pocket. Well, you know, just to relay that into, into an industry example, if we were able to negotiate a better price and look for some of those settlement discounts and reduce our cost of goods from 20% of sales down to 15% of Precisely. sales, that's Massive. an extra 5% of sales Massive. that's staying in the bank account. Yes. Versus an extra 5% of profit, which is a wholly different figure. Which takes us right back full circle to where we started the conversation about
2: which profit do people look at? Yeah. And we said they need to be looking at gross profit. And you just beautifully uh,
1: okay. illustrated why that is. Okay, that's interesting, isn't it? Because we need to be able to look at it in this simplistic manner. Correct. Otherwise, it can just get bamboozling and bloody too confusing for everybody. Too many numbers, yeah.
2: jumbler numbers. Mm. You know, you don't want that in business. You want a scorecard. Yeah, and the scorecard for one of one of a better expression mm-hmm. is basically your KPIs. If you think okay. about a business owner, whether it's a salon or whether it's a large industry player or mm-hmm. a, whether it's a bank, mm-hmm. we all have staff mm-hmm. and we often, our staff have KPIs. Yep. Why do we have a KPI for our staff? And the answer to that is very simple. We want to influence their behaviour in the way that gives us the very best outcome. Mm-hmm. So every business should have its own set of, KPIs. Hmm. And what I say to people is, don't make that a list of 15. Find the top three or four, make them around profit or around cash flow, the things that are going to drive your financial performance and build, increase the enterprise value, they are your KPIs. Hmm. They are what you hold yourself accountable to. And they are what you should be reviewing every month to hold your feet to the fire to say, Are we doing the things that we said we do to meet these goals that we've set for us in this scorecard? And if you keep it to a manageable number of four or five, you're going to be in great shape.
1: I think that is absolutely tremendous advice. We quite often get bamboozled with looking at too many numbers and don't really understand the right numbers. So let's just recap on what we've covered here, Stuart, because I think you've really shared some very potent um, information. The first one was that, you know, and what I heard you say was we need to look at those financial statements a little bit more closely. Mm -hmm. We need to try to bring them forward to today and find out, you know, and understand where our money's going. And if we want to try to improve our position, we need to focus at the gross margin level. That is the income after the cost of product. Is that mm-hmm. right?
2: Yep. Give, it, give it a priority. Yes. Yep. And
1: and really see what we can do to influence that in a Correct. positive way. Yeah. So that was really important. And get to understand what our key success drivers are, what our main benchmarks are of the business. Yes. And understand how to influence them.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Okay, so in a positive yep. way? Yes. Yep. Okay. And then finally, create some sort of scorecard. And maybe what we could do, Stuart, together, you and I, is put an offer out to our clients that if they wanted to uh, ask us to help build a scorecard for them, just as a one-off, sure, we could maybe put together a template and, uh, and you know, share that with them. But more importantly, guys, I want to also make you aware that Stuart conducts a number of financial workshops from time to time. And he's a particular star in this area because he really does know this area of business very, very well. He's got an SME financial skills workshop coming up very soon. And uh, if you'd like just, if you're watching this care of a Facebook group, just go to the link below and just drop us a note, Uh, just say I'm interested or send me some more information on the SME financial workshop. And I'll make sure that Stuart gets that out to you and you can jump online and join us and we can have a good chat about how we can help you make more money. The final point I want to leave with you is a beautiful saying someone taught me many years ago about the financials, and that was that turnover is vanity, profit is sanity. (laughs) And with that, I'll see you next time. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye for now. Thanks, Stuart.
2: My pleasure. Thank you, Neil.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the special COVID profitability series of the Get To Yes podcast. If you like what you've heard, please share it with other people who also want a more profitable business. Until our next episode, you can visit Neil at thesalescatalyst.com.au.